Welcome to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. This is Brian Kletter, the creator and host of the podcast. You can engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought or at Counterthought CEO and on our Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast. For audio versions of the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And for video versions of the podcast, join us on YouTube at the Counterthought channel. Let's go. So what is it going to take to make sure that we as Americans, our political leaders, our bureaucrats, our elected leaders, our leaders of private enterprise, they need to all be on the same page to see and make a difference that certain goods need to be produced here or at a bare minimum in an allied country. Welcome to another episode of Counterthought. Now, if you follow me on social media, specifically Instagram, which if you don't go follow me at Counterthought CEO or at Counter underscore thought, you would know that this episode marks a, a change in the style of this podcast. What exactly do I mean? I don't really mean a, a drastic change in the, in the format necessarily. Like I'm still going to give you facts and information. I'll give you context, give you background information and like the other 39 episodes. But primarily the change is just going to be more of a relaxed feel. Um, I've been talking to you now for 39 episodes and each of those episodes has been, I would call it more of like instructional or educational. I kind of want to move, I want to move away from that a little bit. So this episode marks that change. It's going to be a little bit more relaxed. I'm going to feel comfortable looking off over to the side a little bit, which is where my notes are that you can't see. Just talk to you like a human being that you are. And less of talking to you as a teacher, like in a, or talking to you from like a teacher or a professor or something like that, or a news anchor, and instead just talk to you like a lot of other podcasters do, right? That's ultimately what this is. This is a podcast, informational, educational, but it's going to be more of the commentary instead of what it has been. And this is perfect for the topic of this episode, because this episode is about changes I believe we need to make as a country, the United States of America needs to make as a country, as we are in the second, wrapping up the second week of the Russia-Ukraine war that is going on, the changes we need to make as a country when it comes to our national security and more specifically, our national security and the goods that we import from foreign countries, especially those that are adversarial towards us. So when you think about national security, I know the first thing that pops to my mind is whatever measures need to be taken to secure our country. Whether that is something in technology, you know, internet and keeping bad actors away from <clears throat> cyber attacks that can target our power grids or other infrastructure systems within this country. I think about ways that we can protect our country from shortages of goods like we experienced during the pandemic. And I'll get into that here in a minute. But when we think about security personally, 
what I think about is security at home, not just your neighborhood, but specifically your house. Cameras on your house, cameras inside your house. You want to protect what is valuable to you, your family and your possessions. Also think about security when you're on the road, driving in your car. Do you want to be secure in your vehicle when you shop for a new vehicle or a newer vehicle, like a used vehicle? Do you look at all to the crash test safety ratings? I did. Because I got a new vehicle whenever my family was expanding. And I wanted to protect my family. So what did I end up doing? I I looked at the crash test ratings for midsize SUVs and that helped inform me and impact or was a significant factor in my decision in selecting a newer vehicle. We think about financial security. How much money do you have in the bank? Do you have an emergency fund? Three to six months saved up if you had a job loss. Do you have a fund set aside if you own a home for repairs for your house? Are you putting 5, 10, 15% into your retirement funds? Financial security. We also think about security of employment in your job. Do you feel secure in your job? Are you one mistake away from getting fired? Have you been performing well enough to where if you did make a mistake in your job, that you feel secure that you would be able to retain it? So we think about security in all different kinds of forms, whether it's personal, whether it's where we live, whether it's our neighborhood, our city, our county, our state, and ultimately our country. However, and we're seeing this now with the Russia-Ukraine war, and we also saw it big time during the pandemic, early on in the pandemic in 2020. But what we have seen is that in certain situations and circumstances, our reliance on foreign goods can come back to haunt us and actually threaten our national security. Over the last 30 years or so, going back to the 1990s, we'll say, or maybe late 1980s, there was this big shift in international trade. A big shift in international trade. And what we saw is from the 1960s when America was the chief exporter in the world, the 1990s came about and China started to wiggle its way into the international trade game. And then by the 2020, and then by 2020, China dominates exportation exports in the world. I'll show you some graphs here in a second that'll, that'll just show you what exactly we're looking at. Sorry, not graphs. Graphs are a little too boring. They're not graphs. They are actually charts their graphics. I didn't create them. I found them. I'll give credit to the source when it comes, but I will show you exactly what, what we're talking about. So if you look at this first graph, you can see in the 1960s what it was like on the world stage for trading. And what this graph shows you is it shows you the primary trading partner in 1960. So in the middle, you have the United States. You notice the circle is larger. The larger the circle, the larger the exporter. So the United States is largest. 
followed by Great Britain and Germany. Can't even see China on the map there. China is not even on this graphic, this map. So then you jump to the, the next graphic, 1990. 1990, you see America is a little bigger. America has more countries surrounding it. But what has also happened? Germany has entered the mix. France has entered the mix. Or sorry, France has entered the mix. Germany is still there. Great Britain, Great Britain has shrunk. Italy has popped up, branching off of Germany. And then Australia, which is connected through Japan. And then in the bottom left-hand corner, there's China. 1990. Fast forward 30 years. And what do we see? Or better yet, what don't we see? France has shrunk. We don't see Great Britain. We see the United States of America and Germany, roughly the same size in this graphic. And then you see China. China is now dominant. China is now larger than we are, the United States of America. Look at all those countries that feed, that get serviced through exports from China. Now, there's a lot of things that went into this. I'm not going to go into them here right now. But just look at that change from 1990 to 2020, just 30 years. And reflected in that is, is what we do, and it's kind of a it's a byproduct of capitalism, which I'm not a, the biggest fan of this byproduct of it, and we'll, that'll be a future episode, uh, kind of the pitfalls or downfalls of capitalism. But a lot of companies, corporations, and countries saw the benefit to having decreased labor, which is China, to increase their profit margins. So China welcomed this, right, to build their economy, to have this, I guess you could say, power and influence, if they wanted to use it, over these other countries. Now, up until about five years ago, I didn't really think much about uh, security of our country when it came to the exporting or importing of goods. I never thought about our country being at risk if we don't produce certain products at home or at least at a minimum in an ally country. But then some things happened, right? Within the last five years, even more recently, the last two years. There are certain issues with offshoring. An example of offshoring and, and kind of the, the downfall of it, and we experienced this during the pandemic, is if you can produce something at home, but instead you offshore, and then when you need something offshore and then you run into supply line issues, an example of that, or just a demonstration of that would be if your house is burning down and you call the fire department, and instead of the fire department bringing the water from that same town, that same city, you instead have to wait on the water to be delivered from the next state. And we got caught with that during the pandemic with our PPE. One of the issues with offshoring is that we don't have full control over what is going on in that other country that we are relying upon to import goods to us that we could 
produce ourselves. We're seeing that with Russia and Ukraine right now. Russia decided to invade Ukraine. And Biden today on Tuesday, March 8th, decided to now ban all Russian oil from the United States. We can't control what happens in Russia. And now that 8% of our oil imports that's coming from Russia is gone. And we're going to bear the brunt of that in the gas prices. We've already started to see that. The national average just eclipsed its all-time high, which was in 2008 at $4.11. It's now up to $4.17 national average. I'm here in Florida, and Florida is one of the lower states, I would say, as far as gas prices throughout the year. But Florida is now, for regular unleaded, has eclipsed $4. But do you remember those first couple months of the pandemic? I had to rack my brain a little bit as I was getting the notes together for this episode and just remember what exactly was going on. So go back to March, April, May, June of 2020. 15 days to slow the spread. Started to hear, you know, that was so hospitals were not overwhelmed. So there was enough care to able to be provided for those who had COVID-19 and needed it. You know, we're still figuring out how this virus works. Putting people on ventilators within the hospital, turns out that wasn't the best idea. But we thought it was, so we were relying on ventilators. We were relying on um, masks, not just the three-ply surgical masks, but the N95 and KN95 masks. And there were shortages, especially on the ventilators. I remember Trump and his administration signing, I believe it was some executive orders or invoking uh, like the, the, um, the Army Corps of Engineers to, to do pop-up hospitals, to have uh, car manufacturers or other manufacturers to kind of like stop their production or at least use part of their production abilities to create these ventilators that were needed, especially in New York City to stockpile our ventilators for the next pandemic that's going to happen. Could be a hundred years from now, hopefully longer, could be sooner. But we experienced these, these shortages because it turns out that in 2020, China accounted for more than 85% of all U.S. imports in the category that includes N95 respirator masks, disposable and non-disposable face masks, surgical drapes and surgical towels. 85% of all U.S. imports in that category came from China. 85%. Now, why was it shipped to China? Because China makes it cheaper. Like I said, profit margins. It is, even though you have to ship everything from China back to the United States, it is still cheaper than if you were to pay an American worker. So we were stuck. We had to scramble. We were unprepared. Now you can say in the future, well, we need to have stockpiles of stuff. Yes, that's true. I'm hoping we do now. But that's just an example. We have the ability to produce here in America, but we chose to send it offshore. And not just send it offshore, but send it offshore to an adversary. China right now is competing with us to be the world's number one economy. 
We beat them in GDP. They have a, over a billion people there. We have 335 million. They're over three times the size of us. Talks are they're going to invade Taiwan. Like, we are not getting along with China. So China, if they really wanted to, who knows what it would have screwed up contracts and treaties and case scenario, China, everything else and the like, but we're going to just said, you know what, America, we don't like how you're talking about us attributing the virus coming from Wuhan. You know, we don't really, we don't really care for that language. So how about we don't send you PPE? Could you imagine what that would have done? Could you imagine how many deaths that would have caused if China just decided to go ahead and say, eh, screw you. So that is a prime example of why we need to, at a bare minimum, have things that are critical, imports that are critical to our national security be produced, manufactured from allied countries. In best case scenario, right here in the United States. And that's what Biden right now is pushing for, right? Build back better. Sounds very similar to make America great again. Pharmaceuticals. I remember hearing during the pandemic that pharmaceuticals is another area where China has a large market share. Now there's some, there's some gray area with, with what exactly we're talking about with pharmaceuticals. Um, API is the term. API means active pharmaceutical ingredient. But if you look here at this chart here on the screen, you can see that the manufacturing sites of active pharmaceutical ingredients, APIs, for the U.S. market in 2019, China is 13%, the EU 26%, India 18%, United States 28%, Canada, the rest of the world combined for 15%. Now the discussion is, okay, well, APIs, are we just talking about who, who grows or creates these or manufactures these ingredients? And then where is it shipped to? And then where is it actually put into the medicine? And then where is the medicine actually shipped from? So there's a whole lot of stuff going on here, but 13% coming from China, one, one eighth, basically of the supply of these active pharmaceutical ingredients are coming from China. What if something happened and we really needed those ingredients and China was a manufacturer and they didn't want to give it to us? Something to think about. And then moving on from pharmaceuticals, oil. Oil is all I've been hearing about, all you've been hearing about on the news for the last two weeks since Russia invaded Ukraine. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, Russia accounts for 8% of the oil imports into the United States. Now, not all oil is used to make gasoline. It's not all refined that way that goes into plastic for gasoline, but one of great sticks and, and other things. So a little tricky to, to track how much of that 8% is actually used. A source to check is the EIA.org. But 8% comes from Russia. And Biden just announced on Tuesday, March 8th, that Russia oil is now banned. We're not buying any more from them in America. So that 8% gone. But what are we left with? 
we are vulnerable. Now that we're cutting off Russia, and now that we in America are not producing as much as we were in 2019 or early 2020, which was around 13 million barrels per day, we're down to about 11.8 is the projection for this year. We are going to Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Venezuela to beg for more oil. To beg for more oil. Why? Because we are now vulnerable. We could produce more here in America, but we're not. A failed policy, failed regulations. And now look where we are. We're at the mercy of countries that we do not get along with. We are at the mercy of communist dictatorships. Places that kill their citizens if they believe in a different God. If they have a different sexual orientation. Kill their citizens. Kill others. We have fought some of these countries in war. And now we have to go and beg. I heard this week that in in order for, I believe, either Venezuela or Iran to give us the oil that we need, that they are asking in exchange for certain, uh, certain former terrorists to be released. So what kind of situation is that? That is what we are left with because we are not producing enough here in America or through an allied nation. Like I said, we can't control what these other countries do. And we relied on 8% coming from Russia. And now well, all we're left with is to go beg and plead in the Middle East and Venezuela. It's a terrible situation to be in. And moving forward, we need to find a way to get out of this. And that's, that's going to be part of my wrap up here for this episode. It's ridiculous. And one thing you've noticed if you've been watching the news at all is there regarding oil, you have Republicans thinking one way and Democrats thinking another way, which shocker, you know, that's no different than what happens every <laughs> for every other issue. But as Republicans are saying, hey, we need to increase production here at home. You know, we need to increase our oil and natural gas so we can be independent of these foreign countries or independent from adversarial countries or 50% of our oil comes from Canada anyway, but they're not an adversary. They're an ally. Whereas Democrats are like, Hey, yeah, we're going to switch off the oil from Russia, but we don't need to ramp up production here. This is a great time to transition over to green energy, green energy. That's, that's their goal. That's what they want to do. Republicans are like, hey, if we're going to cut off Russia now, we need to open things up here in America. Like now. Now. The Democrats right now regarding this can't walk and chew gum at the same time. They could say, hey, this would be a great time to transition to green energy, which, great, if we can get renewable resources and, and it's going to help us out, let's do that. But let's also, while we're setting that up, because that could take a decade to get to where we need to be or longer, 
to be sustainable energy for our country, let's also do the other thing. Let's also do the other thing. Let's produce the oil that we can produce. The natural gas, we were a net exporter for that, meaning we had a surplus and sent it out and we were making money from our natural gas exports. Let's try to get that as close as we can for oil while also building up green energy and nuclear energy. It doesn't have to be one or the other. We can do both at the same time. That would help with our national security. And then moving off of oil, you get into technology and the infrastructure. We've heard talks already about, or we've experienced, and we've also heard talks now with the Russia-Ukraine thing, that Russia plans on a cyber attack here in America. Who knows what they're going to attack? But something cyber, something hard to defend, they threaten things, cyber attacks coming from, from space or, or using the International Space Station to come down and crash onto land instead of in the Pacific Ocean here in the next month or so. But going back to the Trump, but going back to the Trump administration, um, Hawaii, H U A W E I can't pronounce it properly, but they were banned from, they were banned out of the United States because they provided certain five G technology, certain equipment that was going to be used to build out five G networks within the United States. But they were found. This company was found to have ties to the. CCP over there in in China and that they would spy. And like I just said, China's, China's an adversary of ours, so we're not going to let this company spy for the Communist Party of China. No way. So they're banned. We're, they're, like, none of their technology can be used here in the United States for the 5, 5G network. The Trump and Biden administrations have both designated Hawaii as a national security threat. So with all of these threats, what's our strategy? Our strategy needs to be at a minimum. Anything that is currently an import from an adversarial nation, we need to find where we can get it to either be produced in the United States or from an allied nation. And that's all well and good, but the main question we first have to ask ourselves is in order to do this, to secure our national security with these certain imported goods, are we willing as Americans where it's going to be required, where necessary to pay a higher price? How much do you, how much do I value security and national security to pay X amount of money more for these goods than what I'm used to paying. We need to maximize U.S. production for things that we already produce here that are critical for our national security. We don't need to produce just 75% here in America and then produce 25% somewhere else because we can, because that's a better profit margin. We need to maximize what we can produce here in America, especially if that 25%, if any of that 25% is coming from an adversarial country. Perfect world, everything would be produced here in the United States. And we would export in abundance the surplus to other countries and truly be a thriving economy. So we got to find this balance. Ask ourselves, 
what are we okay with? What are we willing to give up as far as cost to secure and strengthen our national security? What is it going to take? We are susceptible. We are, we are vulnerable. In America, too many times we get caught up looking at this big shiny object and neglecting <clears throat> the foundation of our country, things that need to be shored up, that aren't sexy, that aren't cool, that aren't, that aren't fun, but are necessary. Right? The infrastructure of our national security has to be built up just like the infrastructure of our country needs to be built up. In order to build, you need a solid foundation. And this is part of America's solid foundation. So what is it going to take to make sure that we as Americans, our political leaders, our bureaucrats, our elected leaders, our leaders of private enterprise, they need to all be on the same page to see and make a difference that certain goods need to be produced here or at a bare minimum in an allied country. Put the profit margin to the side and do what is best for the country. That is what we need. We can't do it by ourselves as individuals. It has to come from the top and it has to come from public government and it has to come from the private sector. We need them to agree that our national security is most important because if we do not have national security, how can we have anything in this country? Thank you for listening to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. Remember to subscribe and like or rate the podcast on your podcast app or on YouTube. And engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought at counterthought CEO or on Facebook at counterthought podcast.